a lot of the unpleasant energy in our society exists as a result of people staying very small in their lives because of fear, fear of failure, fear of what other people will say or think, fear of actually scary circumstances. Welcome to Let It Out. My name is Katie. This week I have a conversation with artist Anna Fusco. She's incredible. She works across many mediums, drawing, writing, digital illustration. You maybe know her for some big drawings that she's done or her reader-supported newsletter, which is incredible, called Unsupervised. And thousands of people read it each month, including me. And when you listen to this, you'll probably want to sign up yourself. The link will be in the show notes. We spoke about a few specific essays in this that you can go back and read in full. And you might know some of her posters. You might follow her on Instagram. She's Lord Cowboy there. And we talk about actually how she met Lord Cowboy in this and and came up with that name. But unsupervised, her newsletter, I can't recommend more. It's great. She is a really wonderful person, and I'm, I'm so happy that she did the podcast and took the time. She, she currently lives on the central coast of California. We spoke about how we connected. My friend Christine sent me her poster, one of her posters, one night on Instagram while I was working at the shop. And when I read it, I knew exactly why Christine wordlessly sent it to me. And it was because she knew me well enough to know that the sentiment written in this poster by Anna was everything I feel and want and that it would resonate with me. And it did. And so I shared the poster and I connected with many other people who felt the same. And and eventually I connected with the source of the words, Anna, the artist and today's guest. And it was really cool that at some point in this conversation, she spoke about where she was when she wrote that and, and how it came to be. And it was cool to hear about because in that she articulated something that we all crave in some degree, which is community and connection. And it's a real through line through her work. And it's a through line through this conversation. And it's something that I think we're all craving, which is to to feel less alone. And it's so evident that it runs through her, her writing and her work in general. And about beyond that, slowing down, being present, I I just really love her and I really love this conversation. I'm grateful that she was here and we cover connection and over-processing and she talks about being inspired by people and her environment and 
over-identifying with certain elements of life and we spoke about traveling alone and worry and friendship and accountability that that comes from living in a community and it's a really lovely conversation and i really enjoyed talking to her and i know that you'll you'll really love listening so you'll hear in a second but anna is really wonderful and you'll probably want to check out her newsletter and buy a painting or drawing or poster in her online shop so here's my conversation with anna thank you so much for being here i really appreciate you listening birthday happy belated birthday i'm so happy i get to talk to you like (laughs) yeah like three three days into 33 how's it feel it feels great that's the jesus year right it's it's the lucky year right right exactly a lot of um conversation around that that number it's a good number it's a nice round number (laughs) this morning i was laying in bed thinking and then i'll be 34 and then i'll be 35 and then i'll be you know just kind of going to the and then I'll be 37. It's just, would it, for whatever reason, different numbers maybe hit us differently, birthday-wise. I am so happy that you're here. This has been such a long time coming, and I'm just grateful to know you and, and grateful that your work exists, and so happy that we finally get to record this conversation. And Me too. I, I told you this, but you know, I have copious notes on many topics from your newsletters that I saved. And I I knew we were doing this for for months, honestly, maybe, maybe like most of this year, because the year. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think because of that, I would get your, your newsletters and either start to read them and love them or not have time to read it right that moment. So I would, I would put it away in a little folder and I was like, I'll read this closer to when we record, Mm -hmm. but turns out months and months past, we were maybe going to do this over zoom. And then we were maybe going to do it in LA and then we were maybe going to do it another place. And then we're going to do it another, like, it's just, and each time I just kept putting more into the folder. So yesterday I read all of them in one day. So crazy. <laughs> and it was incredible. I Thank spent the you. whole, I spent the whole, it was like reading a, a book of essays. I, I thought it would be interesting to start presently. Like, how are you feeling? What's on your mind? What have you been learning or, or contemplating or inspired by in the last week or month or so? I've been thinking about all the ways in which. I put pressure on myself now and also throughout life and, you know, in the past and, and just how I can stop doing that. (laughs) What things can I invite into my world in order to make it easier for me to just take the pressure off and therefore help show other people if they're paying attention? how to do the same. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, that's a through line in your work. And I think it's a through line in, in mine to some extent too. And I don't know if that's our, you know, similar age or from spending time with each other's work. I think we, and like you were saying, the familiarity we developed just from, you know, becoming new friends this last year, I think, we share a similar perspective on that gentleness and and I don't know if that's 
yeah, if, if that does have to do with our generation or age or being, you know, we were kind of joking around about the number of being in your 30s. But I think there is something to this decade, maybe past generations, maybe every generation felt that way about their 30s. But yeah, I, I just feel like there's there's something about our generation entering our 30s at the beginning of a pandemic and you know <laughs> trying to navigate many recessions and why you know obviously there's like the all the global wildness but then you know i think our careers are are both for both of us and in, in some ways connected to technologies that didn't exist when we were younger we couldn't imagine being our careers or Completely. maybe aren't even very psyched to have them be part of our careers but they are and we you know it's just, it's just pretty complex and so you know i think that gentleness and slowness and and the keeping up with the cycle and create things quickly i've always been very very slow and and so i i, I love that about your work and i think you know i wouldn't be surprised if that's something that a lot of people listening to connect with your work and you're you're such a brilliant artist and writer and and i remember in one of your early newsletters i read where you were talking about catching the end of a meryl streep oscar speech where she quoted carrie fisher saying yeah. take your broken heart and turn it into art and I love that. It reminds me of the graduation speech. I think it's Neil Gaiman where he says, you know, like he goes through all these different scenarios. And he's like, whatever happens to you, your dog dies, make it art. You get run over by a bus, make it art or whatever it is. And, you know, do you, with that, with the gentleness going off of that, do you take on that perspective of moving through the world with a narrative lens through your writing and your art? Are you always sort of collecting things and where do you collect them? I'm so self-conscious in every sense of the term. <laughs> and so I become hyper aware of not being like that, you know, of um, not feeling like a collector. But at the same time, storytelling and mythology and modern mythology and myth making. And I feel like people ask a lot, you know, what inspires you? And it's just always so simple. It's just like, waking up and just doing the thing because it, it's not necessarily always going to be good inspiration or like interesting. You know, I, I talk a lot about that, like this, uh, it's okay to not be interesting and it's okay if what inspires you is not interesting. You can, you know, sort of like I can pick it up and put it down. So I've sort of been reflecting on years of my life spent living in cities and then the last year of my life, which was spent living in an extremely rural, disconnected part of Mexico. And then now I'm living pretty out there uh, on the central coast of California. And the difference in not only like how much, I don't want to call it work, but just like how much juice I feel like I have to bring to what I want to do, whether it's a drawing or writing or a newsletter or, you know, poetry or something, um, or even just speaking to people like a Q&A, the difference that I have since living a little bit 
more removed, but, but being very focused on the people around me versus living very in like the sort of cacophony of the city. Uh, it's, it's pretty noticeable for me. So I guess all that is just to say that living quietly, but surrounded by people <laughs> is how I am flourishing right now. I relate to that a lot too. It, it's like knowing your patterning, knowing your, what I call your combination and being able to like knowing that you won't always have it and you, it'll be a mystery to you at some times. But once you know your creative combination, you can try to make those conditions for yourself and knowing that they'll always change. Speaking to that, I'm hypersensitive to my environment. And that is like, down to the weather and the lighting and the frequency of noises that I can expect. The fact that where I choose to land or park for however long is really actually going to influence um, how I show up for whatever I decide I want to do. <laughs> I think community is really important to, to both of us. And, and I loved what you said about interactions with people being part of your work and that's something you know i think friendship is i learned we have similar family situations and you know i think when that's the case friendship becomes so important and, and creating community for yourself becomes so important but also and i think you're alluding to this having space and alone time to process and finding the goldilocks between the two is is really useful and God, there's there's a million places we could go, but I, I I want to talk about an essay that you you particularly sent me about applying the the Bechdel test <laughs> to your life, which which covered not yeah. narrativizing everything. Specifically, you talked about a trip with with two friends where you made a rule to pass the Bechdel test for the weekend. Can can you talk about that piece a little bit and about that yeah. experiment and how it worked out? As someone who is over processing and then leaning towards, you know, creating narrative and thinking about what I'm going to write about next, that's almost enough. I, I sort of realized this year as my writing practice has grown and uh, and I mean grown in how often I'm returning to it, but also grown in how many people I'm speaking to, it's, it's sort of just, there's a lot of momentum there and it's really exciting. And so uh, there's so much energy that, that needs to go there and that I want to put there. And that means that I'm spending a lot of time alone, revisiting my journals, my note app. I'm visiting me all the time. And <laughs> And I kind of just hit this point this summer, it's, it's, I think because I was in this especially sensitive raw moment of um, diving into something new and romantic with someone else, that I was just like, this, when, when is it too much? Like, how can I turn it off? Or like, how can I create a boundary around the processing and get away from that being the way I synthesize my experiences 
all of the time. You know, my friends invited me to go horseback riding in the mountains in the Sierras and and I could just tell that it had the potential for being this <laughs> this weekend of like lots of processing. I'm in something new with someone. My other friend is like single, but sort of dating and kind of navigating like the extreme highs and lows and vulnerability required to even show up to that and also maintaining an independence. And then our other friend who we were going to see in the mountains was sort of in a soft, sore, tender spot. I just felt like, oh God, there's no service. There's nothing to really do except be on horseback and stop and eat. So, and knowing myself, I was like, you you have the potential to spend the entire weekend hashing out like the what ifs of this new thing you're doing with this person. And I just didn't want to do it. And so I, yeah, I suggested to my friend, I was like, you know, are you familiar with the Bechdel test? And we kind of talked about it. And can you actually explain it? Yeah, of course. I mean, so it's uh, it's named after Alison Bechdel, and uh, who's a, an amazing writer and graphic novelist. And you know, they just developed this sort of it's like it's a test, you know, that is generally applied to film and television wherein uh, in order to pass the test, the, the media has to feature two named women who uh, speak to each other about something other than a man at some point during the, during the film or the show. And there's a website of films that actually pass the test, like a whole list, uh, pa pass and don't pass. And it continues to get updated. <laughs> but the list is really long of things that don't pass the test. And despite my personal knowledge of it, and, and again, going back to the self-consciousness, the like self-awareness of the kind of woman I want to hold myself to, I still think that growing up watching dozens and dozens and dozens of films and series that really don't prioritize women having the capacity for other conversations does uh, it did impact me i like i i think i'd be really naive to say that it didn't one of the things where we differ too which is one of the essays that i want to talk about one of your earlier essays about how you grew up and and like what we grew up worshiping and what we grew up seeing. And it was, you were talking about growing up and how you said, I think we look for God in a lot of places and food and having money and pets and kids and most often romantic relationships. My getting on the plane for the sake of kinship with a man is an act of hope and spontaneity, but it is also an act of looking for something I'm convinced I cannot give to myself or in different terms, what God can't give to me. And so I'd, I'd love to get into that a little bit and, and unpack where you're filling the God size hole now. But I think something, it might've been a, a different newsletter. I think they're, they're jumbled in my, in my brain now, but you were talking about growing up between Italy and Saudi Arabia, which I thought was so interesting. And, and you mentioned that your mom grew up Catholic and you were talking about 
the nuns ar- around you and and I I would that was the one I didn't get to finish and so maybe you can you can tell me a bit more about it but the reason I'm bringing it up now and like in relation to this is because I, I grew up around a bunch of women with with no men no dating and no like concept wow. of that and so I think I have a, a different thing where I just don't do it I had an interesting experience during the the peak of the pandemic where it was such a wild time for everyone and I couldn't talk about anything else with my friends you know I had a real inability and everyone gets like that with something often a breakup and I think you know both of us being verbal processors I think there's there's mm-hmm. real use to debriefing with a friend and and I think especially when there's shame involved it's really important to get it out and to share it because the shame can sort of dissipate but beyond that you know what happened with me with this experience is that I got so far from and I'm curious if you've experienced this and I think that's kind of what I was gathering and it might have been my own projection on on these essays but i i i think you may have a take on this because i got so far from what was actually going on in this situation ship i was in where i was talking about it to everyone that i knew because of the wildness because it you know Mm -hmm. and so i was doing that so much with this situation that i learned a lot of like I'm not going to do that next time. I'm going to, ju- yeah. this is just going to yeah. be for myself. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe I'll talk about it eventually. Maybe I won't, but outside of what you're saying about like, it is more interesting to, to talk about other things outside yeah. of just relationships. But for me, I've, I've sort of been thinking about the difference between talking about and telling. Right. And so I am not uh, promoting silence in any capacity. And I think that telling and i and i write this in the essays like telling is a a matter of life and death sometimes for people in any situation but in relationships you know inviting people into your world is so invaluable and super necessary i'm thinking about how can i invite people in my life that i care about my friendships my family say how can i invite them into my world and into the new things that are developing without talking about, which for me, talking about means over-processing and like until it's blue in the face. It can really spiral when I'm doing it with other people just like me. Not everyone is a verbal processor and not everyone wants to hold space for themes that I do. And so depending on who I talk to, the conversation might not go very far. And I think those are moments where I'm like, mm, I kind of liked how that felt because we didn't really get into it too much. It was just sort of like, how's things with going, you know, how's the, how are things going? And I can just sort of answer it pretty briefly and like wrap it up. And like you said, keep it for myself going into the woods with two other women who I know love to process and talk and are love motivated. Uh, that's when I can catch myself or have been sort of catching myself like, okay, let's put ourselves to the test and, uh, and, and remind ourselves of all the other parts that we carry and want to share with each other. I wanted to clarify that I'm not like, I'm not devaluing the, the process of 
talking about things with others. But I think that for me, it can just be like a runaway train. Sometimes it's like you said, it's just ruminating and it's like sort of getting out of the present moment and getting out of the the reality of the situationship that you're even engaging in. This all starts to snowball when you get all the opinions and projection and perhaps yes. advice from other people. And it's like, you know what they say in the, the, the sunscreen song about, you know, advice is a form of nostalgia, dispensing it as a way of finishing the past or like fishing mm-hmm. out the past mm-hmm. from the disposal and wiping it off and, you know, recycling wow. it for what it's worth or something like that. And I think, you know, you, you've spoken about that before too, in your, your essay earlier this year about moving to to Mexico. And I, I loved the way you, you spoke about concern and, and worry in that, but I feel like similarly here, this all starts to snowball and grows in our brains when we do interact with other other people on a, on a topic. Yeah. So I can yeah. be very easily influenced and recognizing that over the last two years, I would say has been kind of a process. Like I, I have a lot of resistance to admitting that I would say that's, there's still, there's some work to be done there. It's like the idea that after all my unique expression and sense of self seeming sense of self and like writing about my experiences I I would say that all those things kind of indicate that I'm very self-directed right and in a sense I am but then I catch myself seeking so much not approval I mean that that's probably there as well but I guess it is approval but in a it's like in the form of advice or something you know it's like I want to process my experiences out loud and to another person and like be witnessed in that and ultimately have them approve it and not off like sign mm. off rather like I realize that I I want to know from others that I'm on the right track more than I admit to myself if I'm not paying close attention I can be very easily influenced by the opinions and advice and like general energies of others and I think this summer I realized like I just it was just a, as simple as what you said progress changing it up what if I did this differently I really want to do something differently now and so recognizing that we are creatures that can be influenced by each other and I'm sensitive so maybe not wanting to to take in other people's ideas any more than I have to was also part of that you know so it's like part part wanting to challenge myself to stop talking about love and relationships if I can because I'm already writing about it and writing about it in private and then literally living it and then part just recognizing how sensitive I am to people's judgments who we talk to and who we let into our day-to-day unfoldings I think is really powerful. It's so easy to communicate with so many people now all day long, right? And the ease of which we can do all of that, I think, can sometimes have the effect of we get used to sharing so much of ourselves 
so many little details with so many people or maybe the wrong person at the wrong time or just like maybe it's not even about the other who's receiving it but maybe it's just about like how much we're giving of ourselves in into other people's does that take away from our sense of self and sense of self-trust and ultimately that's what i'm always really working on is how much Mm. do i trust myself telling my friends i don't want to talk about this until the foreseeable future hey i don't want to talk about men all weekend sorry it's off limits like that's not just a, a challenge to change the topic and to get out of my head and to be present in nature but it's it's also a challenge of self-trust yeah because i think we all want care and connection like it's very it's very human and and i think talking about relationships is is very human there's a story i i read once about even in like the most horrific scenarios people are still talking about you know dynamics between people in those scenarios because we're relational beings and i think that's it's all very human but you know to to your point there's there's many more notes to be played and that's part of it and same reason why you know in friend groups i don't love when we just end up talking about other people it's more interesting to talk about what we're into or what we're reading or whatever because then it just like teeters on gossip and it's not i just don't want to participate in that you you miss so much and that's part of it and then the other part like you said is so really useful and and that self-reliance and i really love that and when did that come up for you you know you I was starting to say you grew up in Italy and Saudi Arabia, and I'd love to know a little bit about how your childhood and and upbringing shaped you. I was just sort of like naturally reflecting on my childhood, some of which was spent in Rome, Italy, and I, I was not raised religious at all, although my mother was raised extremely Catholic. I think she you know her rebellion against that was having children and not forcing us to engage with anything like i really feel like our house was just like a a house of no beliefs you know i don't even want to say it was agnostic because that's like you're still kind of believing in something right there was just nothing um something greater than ourselves the cosmos the universe any nothing living in italy and living in the middle east you know, I'm, I was regularly surrounded by extremely devout people, but I always felt very othered from them because of the way that my mother was actively keeping us from anything organized. And so either I felt like I was on the fringes and was being like, was not able to participate in these groups, basically. To me, as a child, they were just sort of like groups or clubs or organizations, religions, right? Especially as I got older and in my teens, I just remember thinking like, 
uh, being so absolutely per perplexed by this idea of a nun. Like, you mean you're gonna just devote your life to the church, to God, and live in celibacy? Like, the idea that someone could do that and actually be fulfilled and whole was already totally inconceivable to me because I had really already, I had already witnessed all of the women in my family on my mother's side pretty much live in devotion to, I don't want to say in devotion to men because that seems like a jab or like I'm undermining what they have done with their lives or who they are, but that is arguably what I witnessed. You know, women who only really existed to procreate with their partners and then raise those children and make sure they were fed and then send them off into the labor economy to do it all over again. I wasn't really surrounded by women who were blazing new trails or independent. So now reflecting, I'm actually like quite curious and somewhat envious of what I imagine. And I might be wrong and I'll never know because I'm, I'm me, I'm not a nun right now. <laughs> well, I am envious of what I'm imagining is a sense of self or such extreme conviction in one's self and direction. The lack of need from the external world in order to wake up every day and continue being a nun is totally fascinating to, and cool to me. You mean you don't need all the things that I have been taught I need in order to like find the joy and awe and will to live every day? I mean, I'm ignoring like a major part, which is like an obsession and fixation with dogma and doctrine. All I can do is speak to what I observe as an outsider. And there's definitely an allure. And the allure isn't the isolation from society or like having abandoned romance and sex in men. It's, it's not that. It's just the perceived selfhood. It's so interesting because you have such a interesting perspective of viewing it from so close up of where you lived in these groups and not having anything. And then where you ended up spiritually is, is so fascinating. What, what else was your, your childhood like in, in Italy and Saudi Arabia? Was your mom working there? How did you end up in those places? Yeah, my mom left the United States, um, Massachusetts when or well, she was had been living in New York in the 70s, and she found work uh, in Italy. There was a job, and she really wanted it, and they asked her if she knew how to speak Italian, and she lied and got the job. <laughs> and 
and moved to Rome in, I think it was like 1980. And then just like really never left. She met my father and had my brother and I with him. And his work was sort of dispersed around Italy and also in Bahrain, which is a little country off of the coast of Saudi Arabia. And so we kind of just bounced around between there and would come back to the United States during the summer almost every year, I think, just to visit with my my mother's family. She was like the only sibling that had kind of gone rogue, you know, and like left the Massachusetts picket fence. So we were there. Yeah, you you brought it up thinking about your mom moving away and, and when she was young and then in an essay that I was kind of alluding to about concern and worry, you know, you were talking about the onslaught of concern and worry and unsolicited advice and, you know, which is kind of related to our, our conversation around processing and advice being a form of nostalgia. But mm-hmm. I'd love to know, you know, where you've ended up with that. But I, I have something from it I, I want to read first. So, th- so this is what you said. I read something once, I don't remember where, about being mindful not to share your dreams with people who don't have any. I don't love this take. It makes me sad. I think everybody has dreams, but I still couldn't shake that line when confronting the energy I had to fend off in order to pursue mine. And I loved that so much because I, you know, as someone who also has traveled and moved a million times and done all this by myself, the onslaught of worry and concern can be debilitating. Yeah. And it's interesting because that essay, you know, those reflections were written. I don't know, in the spring. And so it's it's interesting to see that, to maybe connect the dots between my interest in going a little inward and more self-reliant with my major life decisions or life happenings as a result of what I found to be like a pretty intense experience when sharing my plans to to live abroad temporarily. Looking back, it's not surprising that I sort of don't look at people's advice the same way anymore, (laughs) you know? So it's like, no, I don't really want to tell you about my new love because you're all crazy and full of doom. No, uh, not really. I mean, I've gotten some extremely valuable advice and insight from people. I did not get anything helpful except from people who already live in Mexico that was said to me when I started talking about wanting to go down there. And it wasn't debilitating because I did it anyway, but it raised a lot of questions. I think, you know, I try to, to get at them a little bit in what I, what I wrote about ultimately, but I really want to believe that people are going to do exactly what they're going to do, regardless of what the people around them say. This it's probably not true and gets at what I mentioned earlier, which is that we're really easily influenced by judgments of others. There's probably a lot of people who won't do things because of what other people might say or think or have already said and told them or warned them against. I really want to live in a world where people believe that they can go explore whatever they're curious about or being called towards. And the best friend that I can be to someone isn't being the harbinger of like all the 
terrible things that might happen. It's like the person who says, okay, what do you have in place for all of the terrible things that might happen? It's not saying don't go, bad things might happen. It's saying you should definitely go. What are you going to do? What yeah. are like, let's, let's like, let's set some plans down. Let's get some tools in your kit ready to go. Right. And, and I think what we really want instead of advice or what we really need rather is support and encouragement yes. yeah. and validation. Because even if those scenarios happen or if they're right, or, you know, when I was going on my trip that kind of never ended. It just scared me to hear all these stories. Like they might be true, but I don't need to fill that in my brain. And what I would prefer is support and encouragement and knowing you'll be there because often the lessons we learn, we have to learn by the only way out is through, you know, or we have to learn by running into the fire and someone telling me to avoid a lesson isn't actually going to save me any time. It'll just make me scared because I'm going to have to learn it myself anyway. <laughs> a lot of the unpleasant energy in our society exists as a result of people staying very small in their lives because of fear, fear of failure, fear of what other people will say or think, fear of actually scary circumstances the happiest of souls I've ever encountered were people who had somehow figured out that they had to do it anyway. It's so interesting, right? It's been a year where I've started writing about things on a very widespread scale and have at the same time like stopped talking about things as much. I'm sharing more, but I'm consulting less. This week's episode is brought to you by Pushkin's new show, Come As You Are. Educator and best-selling author Emily Nagowski answers questions about sex with the latest science on her new podcast, Come As You Are. Get a modern guide to sexual well-being backed by groundbreaking research about desire, anatomy, orgasm, and so much more. In conversation with her producer, Emily debunks cultural myths and flips the script on everything you thought you knew about sex and sexuality. Come listen to Come As You Are, wherever you get your podcasts, and unlock your most pleasurable life in the bedroom and beyond. I'm going to listen right now, and uh, I hope you do too. We can discuss. Okay, back to the podcast you're listening to. I know you listened to the episode with Nada, but in one of her short stories, she talks about her the the character's best friend and having someone to witness your ups and downs and shadow and light and 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 say that that's kind of what you were alluding to, I think, earlier, like. I accept you and continue, you know, and I'm here. Like that's, that's often what we, what we need. And I know you have a best friend, Bob, <laughs> and you have written a, an essay about them that, that is so beautiful. And, and I think speaks to a lot of what we were talking about before and, and wanting community and support within all of this. And so with that, you know, where are you with friendship and community now? What is, what is your greatest lesson been 
around that or recently? As important as it has felt for so long for me to be witnessed by her, I think that the gift of her friendship is really that she's always trying to orient me back to myself. So she's trying to remind me that I, in a sense, don't need her. That like, I just have to trust myself more, listen to myself more, believe in myself more. Yes, she's supportive and she helps me with trade shows and like does really annoying chores for me a lot out of the goodness of her heart. So like she, she shows up as a supportive friend in physical ways and in extremely emotional ways often too. At the end of it, the consistent undertone is, is her reminding me that I actually don't need her to witness everything. The current energetics of where I'm at are accountability, <laughs> extreme accountability. Where do words meet actions? Is my energy uplifting or draining? That's not really a question that I ask myself when I wake up alone in the jungle because it doesn't really matter. I'm not going to see anyone, but I just walk out of my room and the chances of seeing someone, it's, I mean, it's almost 100% of the time. The amount of sensitivity I've had to bring to my waking life is unprecedented. And then because I am so so sensitive and I put so much pressure on myself, it, it can be, a, it has been quite a painful process. <laughs> and what I'm seeing reflected back at me are just now more people nodding and smiling and being like, yeah, you got this, like trust yourself more. So I think to me, community right now means like Fostering a sense of self-trust that is so full of love and compassion and gentleness and grace that therefore allows you to show up to others, to activities, to the workshop on the weekend, to the barbecue, to the potluck. I think the things that keep me in isolated, unhappy, isolated places are when I'm not trusting myself or giving myself grace. Because it's that insecurity that that holds us back from intimacy, you know, and yeah. we all want to be yeah. seen and loved for who we really are, which is intimacy, but we're also terrified for being seen for who we really are, not love, that we make some sort of version of ourselves. And I think what you were talking about with, with community and, and living amongst people is is so interesting because I, w I was doing that throughout the pandemic and then and and before that as well. And but as I was mentioning, you know, I I grew up with a lot of single women around me. And when I moved to New York, I was living with this other single woman and a friend of mine who happened to be married met them and and kind of like understood their vibe and, and said this thing to me that stuck with me. And she was like, you know, it's interesting being in a relationship. You always have to be 
compromising. You have to sort of be nice all the time. That stuck with me. And I think it, it relates to what you're saying, which what she meant was you have to be aware of your energy and you have to be not on all the time because you, you don't, but you have to just be uh, socially and spatially aware of yourself. And it's easier to be single and it's not easy even like there are there are aspects of it that are easier to live alone whatever because you don't have to consider all those things you're saying but what was so cool to me is earlier this summer i remember you you telling me about this living situation and and that this panned out for you and we were voice texting a little bit about you know your next move and i'm having this really full circle moment now because I actually found you because, and I don't know if I ever told you this, but my friend Christine sent me one of your posters. And I remember where I was. I was working at the shop that I work at and she didn't send it with any words. But as soon as I read it, I I instantly knew why she had sent it to me and why it needed no introduction because what it contained were these words of of everything that that I loved and it felt so incredibly personal and specific and like like you wrote it for me and and made it made something in my brain beautiful and it seemed mm-hmm. like you had written my personal mantra and and I instantly reposted it because I wanted others to see it but but it was almost more than that it was almost really to say see me by me liking this by me sharing this this is how I am you know mm-hmm. I, I I wanted to create intimacy and your words made me feel seen. And then, you know, I watched something really interesting happen because you had just posted that when that was sent to me. Very, very fresh. And this was maybe January. And then I noticed everyone I knew right after that started posting it. And and, and even though this is this is your art and your project, I felt connected to it because I had like posted it early and it felt like it was so specific to me. And and then I watched it get like 30,000 <laughs> likes and shares and, <laughs> and, and it was just so, so beautiful. And I, I'll probably read it at the, the, the top of this. And then the, the reason why I, I bring it up is because when you told me about where you were moving to, it felt like you had embodied what was written yeah. in, in this beautiful yeah poster and what so many of us want and crave. And and I was so happy for you and it felt so correct for you. And I would really love to talk about that that poster a little bit. And if you remember writing it and, and did you anticipate it resonating in the way that it did? I had an art show in December of last year. So almost a year ago in Oregon. And... <laughs> Uh, the gallery owner, Miles, wrote to me and said, hey, you know, can you give us an artist statement before we put up the work? And then I said, yeah, sure, whatever. And it's always been really hard for me to combine language with my drawing practice. I use text in my work a lot, but if I'm not using text in my work in this specific body of work, I was not, I don't know how to to then like explain it with words. It's like, to me, I just want to say, yeah, these are drawings. Just look at them. Okay. What do you want from me? Like a, a biography of a drawing? Like, no, that's not the point of it. I just started riffing. I just sat down <laughs> in the dark at my kitchen table. I was still living in Rockaway in New York City. I just like sat down at the table and started draw, you know, writing. Now I know 
was just me sitting down and writing a crazy spell that would change the course of my life forever, honestly. Yeah, so I sent it to Miles. It, it went into the show, whatever. And then I got to Mexico by way of my supposedly treacherous, very dangerous journey and everything was fine. And I just revisited it and I, I didn't fully like it. I was like, mm, I could be more specific. I think it was like a little bit, either it was a little longer or just like more, maybe like more convoluted or something. And so I remember sitting down in the first little place that I was living in Mexico and reworking it to be where it is now and just put it online and went to bed <laughs> set it and forget it and uh yeah then it it really it seems to have really resonated with a lot of people and i've spent a, i've spent the time since then so that was in january thinking about why that's the most interesting thing to me. I really value what you said about it, feeling like it it spoke to you directly or touched on your own needs and dreams. I think that it taps into like a collective portal of longing, honestly. Then I was connected to this property that I'm living on now with a bunch of surf freaks who eat together and sleep close together and share a lot and talk a lot, value the simple things in life and try to be unplugged as much as possible and believe in a future wherein the planet is not in such a bad way. My act of like putting it online was probably just a n one step further. It was like, I make a joke about it, but it's true. It was like a public housing call. I was like, you know, I'm down here in Mexico, but there's anyone out there who wants to like incorporate me into their little world for a while. I would, I would, I would love that. And then it worked. You know, I had, I had this one person write to me when this writing piece of writing came out. And they were like, you know, that's all well and good and everything, but whatever happened, like this is, this is bordering on like privilege utopia of only living on a planet with your best friends, which isn't the reality. Like, what would it look like to write this dream, but like actually have it be inclusive and therefore maybe helpful? And I loved that so much because I was like, it's one thing to be like, mm, I want to live really close to my best friends and like go surfing with them and cook oysters. <laughs> but it's another thing to be like, I want to live really close to the person who's waving a Trump flag and uh, ranches a bunch of cattle and like has a really different perspective and outlook on things than I do. And I want to, I'm going to show up for them too and talk with them too. 
So I wrote this like really, you know, dreamy, comfortable. I live on a planet with all of my best friends memo, but I've actually never had that really. And I still don't have it because I, while I share a house with a lot of like-minded, sensitive individuals, I live in the Central Valley of California. So the people that I'm meeting at the mailboxes are, (laughs) they're not hippie surf freaks. I guess there's another version of what I've written, which is like, the real version, which therefore might actually be a help, an actually helpful version. Like what I feel like I wrote is just this dream and it's beautiful and it's important to write dreams and they can sometimes act as spells. But uh, is it helpful? I don't know. Like it might be helpful to learn how to live very close with our neighbors, no matter who they are. And especially if they're not our best friends. It wasn't a exhaustive statement of, of everything you believe. It was something specific that, you know, I think it's good to have a wish or a dream as a guide, but knowing that, you know, life is nuanced and messy and and it's never as it seems and i think yeah but it's it you're kind of writing you can't be everything to everybody at every moment and so i think that it's such valuable feedback and it's so it sounds like you really sat with it and you you really unpacked this and but it was such a beautiful piece of writing that i think it stands on its own beyond that and Thank you for yeah. for sharing all of that. It, it was really cool to hear. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't change anything about what I wrote and I still stand by it. Like that is my dream and I probably will be until I die. This thing that I've written doesn't mean that other things aren't also true or also being written or thought about. Well, I think it was really beautiful. I want to ask you the questions that I asked from some of our mutual friends and see if we got any on let it out, but I'll I'll warm you up with the the rapid fire questions with okay. an easy one, which is what is the best thing that you've eaten in the last week? And I would just like to know your thoughts around like some of your favorite foods and in general what your eating situation is. Cause I remember in a phone conversation once, I think you mentioned caramelizing a banana for your oatmeal and mm-hmm. highly recommending that, which oh is incredible. So yeah. I eat everything. I am highly food motivated. I'm currently obsessed with making my own granola and I love pesto. Like I think if I had to just only have one thing, it would be just a combination of like er green herbs, olive oil, garlic, and salt. I don't care if you add tahini or if you add pine nuts, if, if you like actually make real pesto, if you make some kind of salsa verde thing whatever just mix it all together and let me put it on everything well okay another question that i i have asked people here for like nearly a decade is is about morning routines and you know i usually ask what the first few things someone does when they wake up in the morning but i remembered in an early email exchange of ours you mentioned that you read one of my old columns for this magazine i had a column for about 
morning routines and how they'd kind of become a prison of sorts for me. And oh. you had written something really similar about that at that same time. And I read it and and it was it was so aligned with with my thinking on it. So I'm curious, you know, where are you with morning routines now and, and evening routines and, and routines in general? I love the morning so much. And I know that if the feeling I had in the morning just went all day long, then it wouldn't be special anymore. So I try to just remember that the beauty of it is that it ends and then it comes back. I just turn my phone off at night now. And that keeps me from getting on it until I feel the time is right. So I, I usually like I wake up and I hydrate and like walk around a little and I either meditate or I write. And one of those things happens um, if I'm alone. And if I have company, then all bets are off. And maybe we go surfing or maybe we just dawdle in bed for a while or have a lazy coffee or something. It's it's mostly like, okay, I'm alone and, and, and contribute to your practice, which the way I say that sounds very like boring and productive oriented, but it's, it's only because I know that it, it works really well to write as much as I can. The old, yeah. the old morning pages, I'm sure so many people on these podcasts of yours have said that, but it's, there's something to them. I am never not journaling and it informs my work completely and utterly and that and reading. So usually I, I feel like the end of the day is devoted to reading and it's a toss up between an actual book or reading all of the newsletters in my inbox that I am totally devoted to because there are so many people writing great, great stuff on a now weekly basis which is overwhelming, but also incredible. Well, if you ever feel overwhelmed by it, feel free to <laughs> take what I did and give yourself a day to, <laughs> to read one person. I mean, I, I kind of store do. them up. <laughs> I, I, I sort of now I have like a newsletter day where I'm like, okay, like it's, it's, you know, Tuesday afternoon and now it's time to go through your inbox and read everyone's newsletters. And I love doing that because like a way of sort of catching up with everyone else's creative practice that I've been paying attention to. And yeah. Yeah. And then it kind of informs my journaling or my focus for the week. And we're all just informing each other right now. It's pretty fun. So it's hitting me so hard. What you said about the mornings of the end, which is one of the most beautiful parts about it. I, I can't believe no one's said that on here before. Cause it's like really hitting me hard. <laughs> Oh, it makes me like I'm getting the chills just thinking about it. It makes me so sad. Like I, I mean, I listened to your your episode with Nada and what she said about hating the middle of the day. Like I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's the worst. Like I just yeah. have no use for it. I'm not productive. I'm not interested in it. It's so bright. I don't get it. What are we supposed to be doing? It's so bizarre. It's like the tides are feeling sad or you uh, know, knowing that it. Uh, yeah. I go to bed every night just so excited about the morning. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yes, tomorrow's my good morning time. Here it comes. <laughs> well, I love the name of your work. And, you know, on Instagram, at least you're, you're Lord Cowboy. And you said in a, in a recent post, I met Lord Cowboy. Could you talk about the origin of that name? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, 
again, it's a kitchen table thing. There's obviously something to this for me, but everything that has gained momentum or recognition in my life has more or less have been the things that I took very little time on. I, I, I say that not to frustrate anyone with a creative practice, but to just remind myself and perhaps someone else that there is a lot of beauty to be found in the least resistance. And so I was just, I don't know, like sitting at the kitchen table thinking about what my Instagram handle should be, putting words together. Like, I think I had like Lord Spaghetti because I like spaghetti, you know, it was like so dumb. Yeah, it just it just came out of nowhere. It meant absolutely nothing to me. It really was just like, oh, that's a, that's funny. And now it's got a life of its own and now it's sort of like my alter ego and and sometimes I catch myself doing things in life that I didn't really ever see myself as I know her doing and I joke that it's like now it's Lord Cowboy doing it, which also kind of speaks to like the somewhat insidious nature of social media, right? Because it's like, are we living for ourselves? Are we living for social media? Did you do it for Instagram? Did you travel just so you could take a photo and put it on Instagram, right? Like, of course, we've all read the hundreds of essays about how Instagram is like taking over the way that we show up in our lived lives. But it also kind of gives me an extra push or permission to do things or be a version of myself that maybe I don't fully back all the time. That's really cool. And I completely agree of, of things coming out of ease. There's a correctness and momentum with that. This, this question that we got from our, our mutual friends so related to me posting that on my, on my story when Christine sent it to me, I got a message from, from many people like telling me it, it related to them, but I got a message from my friend, our friend, I learned Michael McGregor being like, Oh, I love Anna. She's great. And so I told him that I was interviewing you today and he very thoughtfully thought of a question. So here it goes. This is from him. How do you keep it together when you're working on a large piece? Do you scatter time, go slow? What's the pace and headspace for approaching something large and detailed? I've only made, really made like one body of large work. So I can speak to just that experience, but I work on them one at a time and I don't start another one until I finished the one I'm, I've started on. For better or worse, sometimes I think it, it would be maybe interesting to have many things going at once informing each other. But I kind of like the work to happen and then inform the next thing and then inform the next thing. Once I have the preliminary sketch made for something, I really just go hard and I work for hours on it quite quickly. What's your sort of pace in life? Do you feel like you move quickly or are you slow moving and in other ways, you know, everything from like walking to how you move in relationships or do you have the mm. same sort of swiftness? My life's work will just be forever slowing down even more. I'm a fast person. I'm realizing there there's like so much of our 
perspectives that are so similar. And then there's a few things that are just like polar opposites, which maybe make us like perfect to be to, to be pals. Oh yeah. Very, very slow with everything that I do. And I mean, I'm slow with like getting back to people or or getting my work done or like checking. I'm like I you know, I'm slow with taking care of business if that I don't I will never hustle and I don't rush. It's funny. But, that's the poster of yours that I bought and I have hanging in my oh, I remember. apartment. Um, yeah. I'll never rush. I'd rather miss the train than rush. That's me. If I see it, I won't run for it. I'm like, ah, that's too bad. Figure something else out. The idea that I would have to cause stress in myself for something, I won't do it. But, um, but as far as like, my pace, my general MO. Yeah, I'm like pretty, I'm, I, it's helpful for me to be around slow people. I really, really value it. What is your favorite part of your life right now? I feel really lucky that I live where I do. And mm. I look forward to the seeing the nine other faces and their friends and beloveds that also come through with such regularity. Like I just, mm, I could almost cry. I, there's just so much support around me in a way that I've never had. And I, it, every day I, I just want this so bad for everyone that I know who wants it or needs it too. I just want everyone to feel like they have the support that I have. What's your greatest lesson on friendship? I think it comes back to the trust again trusting that it's going to be exactly what it is. And so not forcing and not um, really trying not to take the changes, the inevitable changes that will happen within a friendship um, personally, just knowing that if it's meant to continue it, it really will. Like I, I believe that that friendships have a life of their own and I like, I honor them so much that and I treat them as truly sacred things that are that like become bigger than the two people involved in them say say it's like a, a, a duo I kind of just try to like hands off if things aren't going my way say or feel scary or like they're changing I think when I was younger, maybe I would like panic or pick at it or really like pry or really force and be like, what's happening? I'm sensing a change. Like, is everything okay with us? Or what's going on? Did I do something? Did you do something? Whatever. Let's hash out and process again with the processing. And now I think like checking in is important and valuable, but if things are changing, I tend to just hands off. They're going to ebb and flow. They are not, they, there's no way they can be consistent. And maybe this is a better answer, but like, I think I've been thinking a lot about just consent in friendship in general and like, not just, even if we've known someone for a really long time and if the friendship has been established, that person is still, is changing and going through new things all the time. And then so are you. So as it's ever evolving, boundaries within that friendship are likely to change and the needs of that person 
and your needs are likely to change. And so just remembering that it's going to change all of the time and therefore the one thing that should remain consistent is not the way it's always been or the closeness you've always had or had at one point, but just your ability to give each other grace and to communicate and to ask for consent. Do I have your consent to even like talk to you today kind of, or have a heavy conversation or is it okay if we spend this time together or is it like just not assuming that just because you're friends or you've been friends for a long time that like you can just have the floor whenever you need it that's that makes so much sense that's really well said this is incredible. I could talk to you forever. You know, the, the last question I always ask people is, what are you curious about now? Is there anything that you wish that I would have asked you that you're pondering that you want to talk about? Anything you want to recommend or let out? I think what I'm curious about in my own practice right now is just like how I can be of service to people more in the small ways that I already show up. So really using the technological tools that I'm quite well versed in already to my advantage while they're still here and engaging as much as I can without sacrificing my own sanity or solitude. Yeah, I think that's something that so many of us are wrestling with. Is there anything else that you want to recommend? It could be like a book, a movie, a podcast a newsletter yeah Yeah, actually like i i have just been so enamored with all things pedro almodovar this year i'm just making it my my work to go through every one of his films slowly and i just can't get enough i'm just obsessed so I highly recommend that people take time with those films, especially artists and photographers, because every scene is like the most beautiful picture I could ever see. You know, it's just the colors and the colors and then the stories, the stories. I don't write fiction, but I really, I think about what it would be like if I did. And then I just see someone making film with such unique story and I'm totally amazed. And then I just read one of Melissa Phoebos, Phoebos, it could be, well, I just read Girlhood and I had a lot of resistance to it at first and was like, you know, I'm not ready for this. I'm not, I don't wanna go, I don't wanna go back here actually. I don't want to go here where you're taking me because I remember it and I don't like it. (laughs) And then I pushed through and it was like uh, one of the most incredible things I've read in a long time and left me really unsure of how anyone could be that good of a writer. (laughs) Like how, how? It was just, it was the, the ultimate question. How did you do this? Can't recommend it enough. Well, let's end taking a deep breath together so we at least get that in. Okay, inhale. Let it out. Ah. 
Thank you so much, Anna. Thank you, Katie. It's such a privilege to get the chance to be asked such beautiful and um, thoughtful questions because it's just gonna, it just helps me, you know, it helps me in the way that I want to show up to my roommates and to my work and everything just to kind of ground down. It's such a privilege to be interviewed. I think everyone should be interviewed all the time. Mm. Well, that's very, very nice to say. And I, I appreciate that because I think it, I do want it to feel like a, a love letter to you. And I put a lot of thinking wow. and, con and and months of like little notes here and there of things I wanted to ask you to bring up and we didn't even cover all of it. So I'm sure we'll do this again. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. That was my conversation with Anna Fusco, also known as Lord Cowboy, as you just heard. Follow her on Instagram there, at Lord Cowboy. And if you want to find me too, I'm just my name, much less cool of an Instagram name, but it's at Katie Dalebout. And this podcast actually has its own Instagram. It's let it out with three T's. It's also me. Shh. And support Anna. She's obviously so wise and incredible, so you know, sign up for her newsletter unsupervised, which we spoke about here. And, and you can read some of those essays that we talked about and, and got into a little bit and read them in full. And then, you know, support her work, buy a print, buy a poster, buy a postcard. You can even get it framed on her site. I think it would make an incredible gift. And I'm just so grateful that you listened all the way to the end. I'm going to read Anna's poster that I first connected with her on and we, we spoke about a little bit how it came to be out of her artist statement and and I just you know I'll let you take that in but I'm really happy to have had this conversation and, and get to read this poster which is really about community and I'm happy that you're part of this community. If you want more of, of this community, I also write a newsletter. It's just called the Let It Out Letter. And it includes these episodes as well as lists and, and other things. So if you're new, the link to join that is in the show notes as well as you, know, you can go into the archive. I've been doing this for a while, so there's a lot there. And so this is the poster that, that I spoke about with Anna. This is what it says. This is her work. These are Anna's words. I want everybody to live very close. I want to borrow. I want to bike over and house shoes for a game of cards on the porch with some tea or digestive. I want animals around and wind chimes above our heads. Somebody is cooking. I brought the bread. Players come and go. A candle is lit to keep away the bugs. Dogs need to be fed. Turn the record over. Song plays through the screen door. Chatter trickles out from the kitchen. Someone comes back from surfing, pulls a bag of oysters out from the back seat of the car. There is little distinction between what's mine and yours, where we sleep tonight and under whose roof matters not very much. When we part, we see each other again in the water or walking to the mailboxes. When we stay together on the sofa, on the floor, into deep listening and burning midnight oil, and then in the morning, one of us will rise and cut some fruit, make some coffee and tea, but not the same person who did it last time because in this house, we take turns. In this house, we dance." so good and that's just scratching the surface her posters are incredible like i said i have a different one i have one about rushing or actually not rushing and i love it and i i really love all of her posters and all of her work so you know 
read this one and and look at her shop and sign up for a newsletter and maybe mine too and and i love you i'll talk to you really soon okay thanks again for being here bye and thank you to anna for doing this 